0: leading optimal performance. Hey, it's Nikki, Llewellyn Gregory, and you're on Gut Plus Science, a mentoring platform for people-first leaders of all levels. Here, we talk to exceptional leaders who prioritize culture, get fired up about employee engagement, and are excited to share ideas and tools for bettering employee experience to help others. Thank you for joining us to invest in being a better leader. Now, let's get to it. Aga Plus Science, Rich Davini is with me today. He draws upon 20 plus years of experience as a Navy SEAL officer where he completed more than 13 overseas deployments, 11 of which were to Iraq and Afghanistan. Through his career, he has achieved multiple leadership positions to include the commanding officer of a Navy SEAL command. Wow. Incredible. He learned so much about leadership and has built you know, the books that we're reading and the organization that he leads from this experience, such a unique story behind it. And we kick off this episode with that. So let's get to it with Rich. Rich Divini, welcome to Goblin Science. I am so excited for you to be here today and to tap into your excitement and strengths around building high-performing teams, the highest performing teams on the planet at that. So Rich, tell us about your role as a Navy SEAL and how that propelled the creation of your book and company, The Attributes.
1: So as a Navy SEAL for, I mean, just under 21 years, I, I held a lot of positions, um, and I was an officer, so a lot of them were leadership positions. So I got to see teams, I got to lead teams, but more specifically, at one point in my career, I was put in charge of the assessment and selection program for one of our most specialized SEAL teams. And in that role, I had to really start figuring out what what was happening there at, at that particular Command was that we were, we would get some of the top candidates from all the other SEAL teams to come to our command for the, for and put them through our own nine month selection process. And there was about a 50% attrition rate, which if you think about it, I mean, you're talking about some of the top candidates from the regular SEAL teams coming to our assessment selection and you're still getting over 50% not making it through. And so one of the issues that we were facing at that time was how to articulate why guys weren't making it through. And they were that 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 task fell upon me. And to do that, I really had to start looking at performance differently. And we often look at performance in just visible things that we can see and measure and, and test. How well does someone shoot or skydive or drive a car? And what I recognized that we actually needed to look deeper. And the deeper look was were these attributes, these qualities that allow us to to see if someone has what it takes to do the job. Not necessarily knows how to do the job, but has what it takes to do the job. And so that's when I really got into this attributes business. Then what I recognized as I got out of the Navy in 2017 was that a lot of organizations and teams were having the same trouble articulating these things. They were calling them things like soft skills or confusing them with competencies. And they were building dream teams that weren't working out when the things went, they were there, the dream teams were going great when things were going great. But when, when, um, when things didn't go so well, or things went sideways, the teams would turn toxic. And, And we all know that the The highest performing teams on the planet, they don't only perform when things are going great. They perform when things aren't going great. That's what defines them as a high performing team oftentimes. And so as I as I had these discussions after retiring, I realized that this what I had talked about and discovered in the SEAL teams could be applied to everyday life and uh, businesses. And so that's when I wrote the book and we built the business around the book. And so now we go in and we help businesses understand those key attributes and those qualities for themselves because it's going to be unique for every business and every human.
0: That's awesome. And I think you just answered my question about why you have the word hidden in your supportive title on the book. Because I was just curious. I was like, I want to make sure I I asked that. But now I understand Like having to do that deep dive and really understanding what's below the surface is what it sounds like there.
1: And I'll I'll give a little bit more context because I'll just define these terms. What I realized was that skills are not inherent to our nature. In other words, none of us are born with the ability to ride a bike or throw a ball or drive a car, right? We're taught to those things. We train to do those things. Skills also, they direct our behavior in known and specific environments. So in other words, here's how and when to throw a ball or ride a bike or drive a car. And then because skills are very visible, they're also very easy to assess, measure, and test. You can measure how well anybody does any one of those things. You can put scores around them and statistics around them. This is why we get seduced by skills when we're often picking teams or even measuring performance. But what skills don't tell us is how we're going to show up in stress, challenge, and uncertainty. Because in an unknown environment, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to apply a known skill. This is when we lean on our attributes. Now, attributes, on the other hand, are inherent to our nature. All of us, in other words, all of us are born with levels of patience and situation awareness and adaptability. Now, we can develop these things over time and experience, but you can see levels of this stuff in very small children, which means there's a nature nurture element to attributes. Attributes don't direct our behavior, they inform our behavior, they tell us how we're going to show up to an environment. So in other words, my son's levels of perseverance and resilience informed the way he showed up when he was learning the skill of riding a bike, and he was falling off a dozen times doing so. And then finally, because they're Hard to see. They're hidden in the background. They're hard to measure and assess. It's hard to measure someone's levels of patience and qualities and and things like that. And the idea is if we're not, if we're not counting attributes into the performance picture, we're missing a huge part of how people are going to show up and especially picking the right person. And so I'll just give you a quick story about this to give you an example. So basic Navy SEAL training. It's held in San Diego, California. It's called BUDS, Basic Underwater Demolition slash SEAL Training. It's known as some of the most difficult training in the world. There's about a 90% attrition rate. I went through BUDS back in the mid-90s, so my 96. And back then, one of the first things you had to do when you showed up to Navy SEAL training was you had to jump into the pool and swim 50 meters. So you jump in, you swim 25 meters to one end, and 25 meters back. Well, the story goes, and apparently this happened before I got there, but the story goes that this kid shows up one day, and he wants to be a SEAL. And so the instructor takes him out to the pool and tells him to swim 50 meters. He jumps into the pool. And when he jumps to the pool, he sinks right to the bottom. And he starts walking across the bottom of the pool to one end. And then he walks across the bottom of the pool to the other end. And he comes up and he's gasping for air. And the instructor looks at him and says, what the heck are you doing? And the kid who's still, get, who's still trying to get, gather his breath says, I'm sorry, instructor. I don't know how to swim. And the instructor pauses and looks at the kid for a second and says, that's OK. We can teach you how to swim. The thing is, why did the instructor say that? The instructor said that because he knew that if this kid had the qualities, the attributes to show up to Navy SEAL training, one of the most difficult maritime units on the planet, and he didn't know how to swim, he had everything we needed for him to be a Navy SEAL. Teaching him the skill of swimming was the easy part, right? So, This is these attributes. These hidden qualities are really what drive our performance at many levels, but especially when things get tough. And that's why they're so important.
0: So good. And so much to dig into. Before we go any further, I'm big on like level setting on things that I just want to hear your answer to. How do you define the word attribute?
1: Attribute is really defined as the um, quality or trait that is inherent to our nature. They are the very elemental qualities that drive our behavior at very elemental level. So I'm, again, it's probably because of my background. I'm very interested in how we show up at our most raw, because we all know the old adage, it's that who we really are shows up when we're at our most raw, right? So I'm always like, okay, who's our, what's our most raw and who are we really, right? And I, I had the advantage of being in the, in a community where we were at our most raw a lot, right? So we knew exactly who we were, but most people don't have that opportunity to understand what their real engine looks like. And if we start to do the work on that, then we start to understand very intimately how and why we perform the way we do, but especially when things go south, when things go sideways, when chaos happens, when complexity happens. And man, who doesn't want to know that? It just allows us to perform better, you know?
0: Mm, So good. Thank you for that. I just want to bring this to life in a real life example for me just to see if I'm kind of hitting this on the head, if you will. And you can use me as an example, if you want, for some of the things you share. So my greatest challenge at this point in my life for my own personal challenge is to manage my teeter. So, you know, I'd call it that. It's like this, um, you know, when things are great, my my old self, very entrepreneurial, like I you have the ups and downs. I'm the very typical entrepreneur, the highs and lows, you know, and it's really based on what's happening with the excitement and all this. This is my past that I'm trying to shape and mold. So I've been on this very Awesome run lately. Now, I believe in seasons. We have seasons of life. And, you know, this wonderful season that I'm in is going to come to a shift at some point. And now, how I show up, yes, it is a skill thing for sure to learn some skills, but it is really understanding the attributes of myself that equip or are detrimental when I go through the ups and downs to be able to continue to do that better through the up the the seasons that are highs and lows so it is really just a personal mission for me right now if you want to bring that into anything it was just really (laughs) speaking to me
1: yeah no that's great and you're absolutely right I think that's that's spot on we have to understand that even even these seasons these ups and downs the reason why they are marked as ups and downs is because they are rife with uncertainty and uncertainty is really what we have to understand how to maneuver through. And we don't maneuver through uncertainty with skill because uncertainty by definition is that we have to figure out the environment first. We can't apply a skill. So that act of figuring out the environment and beginning to move through stems from and is founded and buttressed by these attributes. So that's why knowing them is critical.
0: Yeah. So um, here's the deal. We get to work really well within a timeline of like the next 20 minutes together. There's so much here. I personally love this stuff. So I could go on forever and we're going to unpack like a whole book. So if if we want to, you know, kind of bring this down, there's 25 attributes from what I have learned, but they roll up into five categories. So I'm going to let you kind of guide us to give us the high level of how to break that down. Let's have a conversation maybe on the five categories to start.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, So, and there's there's so was, there are more than 25 attributes. First of all, I wrote about 25 because I, I really wanted to break them into this. OK, what does it take to to really perform optimally? And so that's why it landed at 25. Again, five categories. The first category is grit. So in other words, a lot of people think of grit as an attribute, <laughs> but as a singular thing. But grit is not a singular thing. Grit is a combination of things kind of blended and catalyzed and stewed together that the result of those things that that catalyzation is grit. Angela Duckworth wrote a great book years ago called Grit. She basically said the same thing. It's not just one thing. And so, so the attributes that make up grit are courage, perseverance, resilience, and adaptability. We can describe grit as that ability to kind of set and, and achieve challenges and endeavors that are shorter term. So the, the more acute stuff, like the powering through the more acute stuff, is, the, is what grit is required for. The mental acuity attributes really describe how our brain processes the world around us, right? So it's mental, it's situation awareness. How vigilant are we? How much do we notice about our environment? Compartmentalization, how effectively are we able to prioritize our environment and focus in on what we need to focus on and block out everything else? Task switching, how can we effectively switch our focus points between categories and context? Because again, people think they are multitaskers. We all know multitasking is a myth, right? Yeah. Neuroscience has proven that the conscious mind can't focus on more than one thing at a time, which is funny because people will, st- people will constantly disagree with me on this. They say, Rich, I can drive my car and listen to my podcast, right? But what they don't realize is that doesn't count because the only reason why you can drive your car and listen to your podcast is because you don't have to think about driving your car. If you're driving your car and listen to this podcast, though, and suddenly someone swerves in front of you and you have to take evasive maneuvers, you will have to rewind the f- last 15 seconds of the podcast because your brain will have hopped, right? So that's task switching. Some people are better at it than others. And then learnability, how effectively are we able to metabolize and process stuff? Now, real quick, before I go on, I want to just level set for everybody. All of us are born with all of the attributes. So in other words, every human being has all of them. The difference in each one of us are the levels to which we have each, right? So in other words, um, if we take adaptability, for example, and 10 is high and one is low, I would be about a level eight on adaptability, which means when the environment changes around me outside of my control it's fairly easy for me to go with the flow and roll with it, okay? Someone else might be a level three on adaptability, which means the same thing happens to them. It's difficult for them to go with the flow, difficult for them to roll with it. They are still adaptable because all human beings are. It's just a level. So if we were to kind of line up these attributes on the wall like dimmer switches, we'd all have different dimmer switch settings. And as soon as we start to understand where our settings are, we start to understand our performance at very elemental levels. So just kind of level set that. Everybody has all of these as I talk about them. After mental acuity, there's the drive attributes. So if grit speaks to those shorter term, more acute challenges and endeavors, drive would speak to the longer term ones. What are the attributes that make up the driven person, right? Those are self-efficacy, open-mindedness, discipline, cunning, and yes, narcissism. And we can dive into that if we want to, um, all drive attributes. And then the other two categories, one is leadership. What are the attributes that make up great leadership? And then what are the attributes that make up great team ability? So our our ability to, to, to operate on team. So leadership, again... Real quick, being a leader, being in charge, two different things, okay? Being in charge is a position, and being a leader is a behavior. (laughs) And the bad news for a lot of leaders, or I guess the sober news for most leaders is that we don't get to self-designate. We don't get to call ourselves leaders. That's like calling ourselves good-looking or funny. Other people decide whether or not we are leaders by choosing to follow us because of the way we behave. If you call yourself a leader and you look and no one's following you, I got bad news for you. You're not. But- Those behaviors stem from very elemental attributes. Those are empathy, authenticity, accountability, decisiveness, and uh, selflessness. So if we behave those ways, people tend to look at us as people they look up to or want to follow. And then finally, the team ability attributes. Uh, Again, we don't get to like just like leadership, we don't get to call ourselves good teammates. Our other teammates decide and they decide based on the way we behave. And those attributes are integrity, uh, conscientiousness, humility, and humor. And those are the behaviors that allow... For good teaming as decided by us when we're on teams. And so so that's a quick outline of the five categories and the attributes in each. And of course, obviously in the book, I dive into each one in depth so people can kind of understand where they may fall on them.
0: It's just really teasing out how important it is to read this book, to really grasp all of this. I really like it. So thank you for sharing that. We're titling this episode today, Leading Optimal Performance. How would you break down really like the key takeaways to inspire just some, some thought and even maybe some momentum towards, hey, grab the book, because these are the key things when it's like leading optimal performance, leaning into understanding these attributes to be able to do that. What are those kind of key takeaways that you'd like to share?
1: The most important takeaway is actually defining optimal performance. And this is really key because as a Navy SEAL, you hear a lot about peak performance and we all hear a lot about peak performance and how everybody wants to be peak and peak here, peak there and peak everywhere. And, and I used to get a lot from a lot of people that you Navy SEALs are, are the ultimate peak performers. And I, I would disagree with them because I say it's actually that's not true because peak by definition is an apex and there's only one place you can go from an apex and that's down. And the other thing about peak is that peak performance often has to be planned for and scheduled and prepared for. In other words, the, the professional football player plans and schedules his entire week so he can peak for three hours on Sunday. OK, we don't get to do that as human beings. We don't get to do that as Navy SEALs. We have to be able to, to operate on demand. And so we really I would define us as optimal performance and optimal performance is defined as how can I do the very best I can in the moment? whatever the best looks like in that moment, all right? So sometimes our best in the moment looks like peak and it's flow states and everything's clicking and everything's awesome. Sometimes our best in the moment is I am just head down and I'm nugging it out and I'm grinding and it's dirty and it's hard and it's ugly and it's painful. That is still performing optimally. And so what optimal performance allows us to do is a couple things. First, it allows us to pat ourselves on the back when we are grinding it out and it's dirty and it's ugly and it's gritty and it's hard. That is still performing optimally, that is okay. But the other thing it allows us to do, more importantly, is to do what I call proper energy management, right? In other words, I don't need to be peak when I'm driving to the grocery store, okay? And another kind of a myth about Navy SEALs that I'll bust for everybody, because you may see it on TV and movies. You may be watching TV and movies, and you see a bunch of SEALs before they go on a mission, and they all huddle up, and they're high-fiving, and they're hoo like a sports team getting ready to take the field. That never happens, all right? In fact, most of the time, we'd be in a helicopter flying into combat. And the guys around me would be sleeping. They'd be napping. And the reason is because we didn't know how long we'd be out there. We didn't know what was coming. We weren't going to waste an ounce of our energy on things that we didn't need to do, right? So optimal performance allows, if you think of optimal performance as this umbrella, it allows us to modulate our performance under this umbrella to exactly what we need in the moment. And so, so that's really performing optimally is how can I do the very best I can in the moment, whatever the best looks like in the moment, but keep on moving these attributes allow us to do that. And so when I titled the book, the 25 attributes of optimal performance, these are the attributes we need to perform, whether or not it looks great or whether it's ugly and dirty and pretty, it's hard, right? I can't tell you how many missions we went on overseas where we came back or like, man, that was ugly, but we got the job done, right? We were doing the best we could in the moment. That's the key for everybody to to understand.
0: Mm, That's so good. You said the words, consider proper energy management. So many things that I could ask about that, but let's just hone in on one. How do you advise people to create or live their blueprint for bringing their optimal energy? So in a scenario where it's like you're about to take the stage, you're about to present to your team for the you know vision meeting of the year, what is that blueprint that or things to consider in making sure that you know all of those components for that side of energy management?
1: Yeah, I mean, the the idea would be to plan a little bit. How do you want to show up for these, for said event, whatever it might be, and then be very honest with yourself. Again, I mean, there's a there's a certain level of energy that's required when you're on the stage giving a keynote for a few thousand people versus you're in a room with some colleagues giving a presentation versus you are playing with your kids at the end of the day. So it's really a recognition of what those energy levels what energy levels are required for those and aiming for that, right? The other example is there's another energy level required to, you know, sprint up a hill if you're working out, you know, in the morning, right? So the idea is to do some diligence on what is required and start to understand, okay, what do I need for this thing? And start to start to look at your day and structure your day so that you can you can kind of hit that mark. Part of that structure of the day would be you maximize recovery time, right? Part of optimal performance is, recovering on demand as well as performing on demand. It's its really critical not only in in the growth of our being, right, but it's also critical in that proper energy management. There's no reason why during a day we can't take five minutes and listen to a song that charges us up or meditate for a moment or visualize or just sit and breathe. There's so many things, there's so many tools out there nowadays that allow us to shift our physiology and begin recovering. And I do this all the time. If I'm getting ready to do something and I want to be at a certain level of, of performance or a level of energy, I make sure that I'm recovering and doing some things that allow me to get in there and do it at the, at the level I want. And then some people, if they run high energy, they have, you know, peak state triggers and things like that. I mean, there's so many things we can do, but just the this, just the recognition of being able to understand that different energy levels require are required for different scenarios is, I think, you know, More than half the battle because now you're understanding okay, wait a second. I thought I needed to be 100% or peak here, but no, no, I don't. I can be 80%. And that's exactly what's needed for this environment. So I think that's that recognition that helps.
0: That's good. Really good. I think the word for me is intentionality. You know, you talked about it's really, you know, whether you're taking the stage or it's the team meeting or you're playing with the kids, it's defining how you want to show up. Right. And then using that definition to guide you that that vision envisioning process or whatever that is. And then I think each of us to know quote unquote our blueprint, like I said, or a toolbox of things. Like a new thing for me is breathing exercises. I went on this street last year and it is like the biggest I always have known that breathing, you know, if you're stressed, like stop and breathe. But these breathing exercises that are like 10, maybe 30 minutes at the most, The energy that it gives me is way past a cup of coffee. It's been unbelievable. So it's a new toolbox item for me. And so I think each of us has to figure out what is that? Because somebody might try a breathing exercise not like, they're like, oh, this isn't for me. You know, meditation practices or going for a power walk or whatever that is. So cool. Okay, question for you. This show is called Gut Plus Science. Really, because it's so important to have this gut, intuition, experience stuff that leads us as leaders. And then the science, which is like tactical stuff, data-driven insights, right? You got to factual things. And so that's where the name of the show came from. And we're a little over five years in, and it's really held true. It's, it's perfect for what we're trying to do here. My question is around, you spoke earlier about attributes being hard to measure. And in your world, what you all do at the attributes at your company is you're building high-performing teams. I'm going to guess that there's some data insights that you use or ways that you incorporate data? What does that look like?
1: Data is tough. <laughs> you know, we try to, and the reason why it's tough is not that we don't have it, but it's, the reason why it's tough is because these required attributes for each team look different for every team you're on. So in other words, the attributes required to be a great Navy SEAL team looks different than the attributes required to be a great accounting team or a teaching team or a surgical team, right? So really what we do is we go in and we help organizations and teams understand what that list looks like for them. And, and we help them break that down into the categories of what are the critical ones, the ones you have to have, down all the way to the just the nice-to-have ones, right? Because what that does, that starts to understand where they can focus. A lot of times, because we're so focused on skills, we don't recognize that actually that this skill that we keep on prioritizing in our performance reviews and our hiring processes is actually not what we're looking for, because the top performers and the, even the values that we have as an organization actually come from and support these other attributes, things like humility, you know, things like accountability, things that allow us to do what we do. So what we'll do is we'll help uh, teams and organizations understand what that list looks like and look at and the priorities of each one. And then we'll start talking about how, how we can help them and how they can help themselves start seeing this stuff. Attributes are tough to see, which means um, you have to look on the periphery of Of experience and the periphery of questions. And so interviews are tough environments to tease out attributes, but you can. And the way you do that in an interview process is you start asking questions that that inject a little bit of stress and discomfort into the process. As soon as stress and discomfort becomes part of the process, you start to see attributes show up on the periphery. And then you can experiential things are probably the best way to do this, because you can start seeing experientially how people are processing. A, a, A real easy example I use to to describe this would be, say, Nick, you and I wanted to figure out someone who is great at sales. And we tell this person on a Friday, come in Monday morning, you're going to sell us a pencil, right? And uh, they come in Monday morning, they proceed to to wow us with a presentation on the pencil. And we're like, oh my gosh, that was awesome. But the problem is we wouldn't have learned much about their attributes. All we would have learned is that they're good at preparing and presenting a, a sales presentation, right? So instead, we tell them Friday, hey, come in Monday, you're going to sell us this pencil. And then on Monday, when they come in, we say, hey, you're not going to sell us this pencil anymore. You're going to sell us this cup, right? And oh, by the way, there's no audio visual. So just, you know, go with it. Now, at that point, what you and I have to do is deliberately divorce ourselves from skills assessment, okay? Because what we're about to see is going to be ugly, okay? But we're not looking at skills anymore. We're looking at attributes. How do they behave? Do they roll with it? Do they have a sense of humor? Do they kind of make stuff happen? Do they just get it done? Or do they kick the dirt? Or do they spiral downward? You're now looking at attributes because you've injected some uncertainty, challenge, and stress, and some unknownness into the environment. And so you're bringing these attributes to the fore. And that's how we start to see them. So we help organizations um, and teams do that because they're just hard to see. A, they're subjective. You have to know what attributes you're looking for because if you don't, whatever you do is a waste of time. So you have to know what you're looking for. And then you have to design these things in context with what your environment looks like. And the only the, the reason why I say that is because the example I'll give, I could taking a bunch of accountants out to San Diego to Bud's training and throwing them in the surf zone is not going to tell me anything about how good they are at accounting. (laughs) Okay. So I need to create environments of stress and challenge that are contextual to what the team is actually doing so we can actually measure the attributes. We can start to see these attributes in the proper context.
0: Mm. So... Everyone that's listening to this, I would say for the most part is is on the journey to building a great culture, right? We all want to have meaningful work. We want to have places where people are in the right seats and fired up and all that, right? And so I think it's appropriate to ask, you know, when we are building our culture, is it important to say, hey, here's our non-negotiable attributes that we're looking for? Like our culture is comprised of this. Is that appropriate? One side of the question. The other side of the question is... Is it important to maybe consider for certain job titles, what attributes that we're looking for each of those job titles to help us get a more rich, I don't know, recruiting experience to really make those matches?
1: The, the answer is yes on both. We, and we do both. And so the, the first part of the question, I'll, if, if you can visualize kind of a sphere, and if I were to cut a section of the sphere out or even cut it in half, the sphere is our culture think of the sphere as a culture but at the center of the of that sphere are attributes because attributes drive behavior so attributes are driving our performance behavior and our per- behavior and performance are driving to us towards our values okay because all of this is connected so the attributes drive our performance towards our values which is our which is our north star that's where we want to head that process attributes plus behavior plus values that's your culture right so it becomes extremely important for, for an organization a team to a have they understand their values and B understand exactly what attributes are required to live and behave those values because if if that information is incongruent inside of an organization or team, you will have an incongruent culture, right? And then the other thing that we do and you're absolutely right is we take these once we understand that master list for an organization of attributes, we take that master list and we start to teach people how to apply that to specific roles because the attributes required for a ceo that list is going to look a little bit different than the attributes required for a the mailroom person okay the beauty of attributes and understanding that master list is even though that attribute list is going to be probably larger in other words the critical attributes for a ceo that list is going to be longer than the critical attributes for a person starting in the mailroom You'll be able to see attributes in that person in that mailroom. So attributes start to show potential. I always kind of say skills show us what is, and attributes tell us what could be. So attributes start to highlight potential of individuals as well. So if you begin to use attribute languaging and performance evaluations, then you start to see potential in some of the, your people who are who might be in lower parts of the organization. like, "Wait a second, I'm seeing things in this person that is earmarking that person for potential higher." levels or promotion or things like that. And this is how we actually need to promote our leaders. Because right now, most of what happens is people are promoted based on their proficiency at their skills. But we all know true leadership has very little to do with what we do. It, it has very little to do with making the thing, right? Leadership has to do with leading people. And so those attributes can, be start, can start to be seen in people and potentially say, hey, we can see potential in this person to be a leader later on. That's the importance of it.
0: For anyone that's out there that is like me and loves like assessment type stuff where you're like really breaking things down and you're like, oh, this is how this piece connects to this piece, you know, or getting qualifiers, you know, having this more, I don't know, grounded understanding, like the attribute language or, you know, these key attributes that help you to just make culture more concrete, you know, with behaviors. I'm just fired up. I love this. This is so fun. I could talk to you all day, but we got to come to a close. So before we go into our lightning round, Rich, can you share about your next book?
1: Yeah, I'm putting it together now right now. And it's uh, it's it's in line with this. It's really what so the book is called Masters of Uncertainty. And this is what I always define the Navy SEALs as individuals and teams that could drop into deeply complex, ambiguous environments and perform. Um. here's the good news is all any one of us can be a master of uncertainty there are specific steps that we have to take to become a master of uncertainty step number one you may have guessed is understanding your attributes <laughs> right? but there are other steps in terms of understanding how we show up what our engine looks like and then there's things we have to understand and know about our physiology and the way we react to stress challenge and fear and then there's specific tools that i'm going to put in the book that i worked on with a good good uh, neuroscientist good friend of mine tools that we can use. Actually, people can actually implement and step through uncertainty, challenge and stress. So that's the that's the project. It's fun putting it together.
0: That's awesome. And when is this book supposed to hit the market?
1: That's a great question. I, my uh, my <laughs> my agent would like by the by the end of the year. We'd, we're hoping, or by uh, by fall. So that's what we're going to aim for. I think. So, yeah.
0: Well, we'll keep in touch, and then we can figure out you know how to maybe do some follow up around that. Good. All right, we're going to take a quick break here from our sponsor message today. We'll be right back with our lightning round, where we get to learn a little bit more about the personal side and the favorite things behind Ridge Stavidi. We'll be right back. If you're leading with a people first mindset, which most likely you are because you're listening to Gut Plus Science, join People Forward Network, the largest community of humans on a shared mission to lead meaningful work. You can find us at peopleforwardnetwork.com or follow People Forward Network on LinkedIn. All right, we're back on Gutless Science. Rich, okay, we've got four questions for you. You're going to help us with our ever-growing recommended reading list. So if you can share a favorite book of all time or a favorite recent read to recommend to our leader, listener, audience, what book would you like to share?
1: Favorite book of all time is tough, but I will say my recent read, I actually keep on going back, is uh, Yuval Harari, uh, Sapiens, Homo Deus. I love his stuff because I love the way he breaks down humans and why we do what we do. I'm I'm really kind of fascinated with why we do what we do. So I would recommend Harari stuff to anybody.
0: I love that. All right, Rich, what always makes you smile?
1: My kids and my family. Yeah, I am a huge family man. And having uh, done so many deployments overseas and having to spend so much time away from them, one of the, well, it's hard, but one of the benefits is you never, ever lose appreciation. And so so my kids are now teenagers, and they still make me smile, even as teenagers, which is a big deal. <laughs>
0: that's oh, fun. that's awesome. Shout out to your kids. So how, how many kids? What are their names? How old?
1: Yeah, two, two boys, Connor and Josh, one 17, one is 15. So uh, yeah, great, great great boys.
0: Awesome. That's great. And Rich, what sustained you on a daily basis?
1: I am always looking for ways to progress in my goals and objectives. And what helps me do that is a conscious effort to delay gratification. I've realized that that's one of the secrets to success is the ability to delay gratification, but it takes work to do that. And I have to say, okay, well, I don't need the reward right now. I can put in the hard work and the reward will come. And so it's a little bit of patience and delay gratification. That that process of kind of setting those audacious goals and understanding that delayed gratification trick is really what sustains me. And I think, you know, it helps me kind of stay young and vital because, you know, I did 20, 21 years in the Navy, and now I'm just starting a whole new thing, which is fun and cool.
0: Thank you for your service, by the way. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. And What's the best way to connect with you and also tell us, you know, how leaders can engage with the things that you offer beyond the books that you've written?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The best and easiest is just go to our website. It's theattributes.com. And there we have everything. You can contact us and see how you can work with us. We have a breakdown of everything we offer. The book is there. We have blog posts there. We have some media there. Our free assessment tools are on the website as well. You can go check out your levels of grit, mental acuity, and drive on the website as well. And all my social media handles are there on the website. So theattributes.com one-stop shop.
0: All right. Here's my truth you can act on from Rich Devini. Number one, optimal performance is defined as how can I do the very best I can in the moment, whatever that looks like in the moment. I love that. Number two, the attributes that we are able to self-assess are grit mental acuity, and drive. We're going to link out to that assessment that you can take through Rich's company, The Attributes, so that you can try that for yourself. Number three, Rich also mentioned leadership and team ability as attribute opportunities for us to assess, but this is like a This is where others need to let us know. It's like we aren't going to be like, hey, I'm a great leader. Hey, I'm a great team member. Like Rich said, this is really important for us to know as an attribute, but it really comes from the ability to see through the eyes of those that are around us. Number four, attributes plus behavior equal culture. And the final Truth You Can Act on I have today, number five, maximize your recovery time. Recovery time is as big as performance time. What are you doing to make sure that you're getting the small gaps in your day or the time away from your desk or your computer or however it is that you work to recover? We just left the world a little bit better. Now, go do something with it.